0: 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to finish up our series tonight on It's Not What You Think, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and the uh, the presentation did not get loaded, so um, you'll have to pay close attention to keep your notes uh, straight, and I'll try to help you out with that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we can begin reading in verse number 26 once again, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 26, the word of God says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, and not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised. Hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that uh, according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So we're going to continue tonight with this thought that God uses nobody. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you once again. Thank you, Lord, for providing for us. We thank you, Lord, for your power. And Father God, the fact that you use it to enable us to do the things you'd have us to do. Father, to do great things, to see lives changed, literally. And Father, we ask now that you just be with uh, this time tonight Father, as we take a, a break, as we take a pause from the things of this world, Lord God, come together once again, worship you, praise you, and Father God, hear instruction from you, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> as we said two Sundays ago, or two Wednesdays ago, I'm already messed up here. Last Wednesday, we had Micah Reisner with us, and so we kind of uh took a break from the series. But as we said two Wednesdays ago, any Christian can be used of God. Thankfully, God doesn't have these requirements when it comes to being used. Well, you've got to have this talent, and you've got to have uh, uh, this kind of a credit rating. And you know, everything else in the world, you've got these standards. Even though everybody says, I'm an equal opportunity employer, they really are not. For one thing, if you want to be an engineer, you probably have to have some kind of an engineering degree. And immediately, if you don't, they're going to tell you, well, you do not qualify. Therefore, they're not really an equal opportunity employer, are they? Uh, and, and of course, nothing in the world is equal opportunity. There's always, there's always some kind of a requirement where, well, with God, first of all, when it comes to being saved... There's no requirement. The only thing is, is you've got to be a sinner. And, of course, we all qualify for that. The other thing is, you've got to be able to admit that you are a sinner. And now, that's not a qualification. That's just being humble. And that's just admitting the obvious. And then, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then, of course, God wants to use us. He wants to use each and every one of us. So what can nobodies do to be used by God? We have only to look at Paul's testimony in our text verses here, and we're going to stick right here in 1 Corinthians. But the first thing that we said, and this is by way of review, number one is be determined. Be determined. Paul had a laser focus to make Christ known. Everywhere he went, and in and, and any uh, situation he found himself, whether it was in a palace or whether it was in a prison, Paul was laser focused. He looked at it as an opportunity to give someone the gospel, to preach the gospel, and so that would be the first thing we ought to be determined to do: determined to preach Christ for salvation. So that would be the next, uh, the next blank on your outline there: determined to preach Christ for salvation the driving passion of the apostle paul was to preach christ and we can see that in first corinthians chapter 2 verse number 2 he said i determine not to know anything among you save jesus christ and him crucified we know not everyone every christian is called to be a pastor but all of us are called to make christ known we're all called to be witnesses and we're all called To spread the gospel. And uh, God doesn't save people because they are great. He doesn't need celebrities. He doesn't need philosophers. He doesn't need the wealthy. He simply offers salvation to all. Now this is repugnant to proud people who are convinced that their greatness or that their religious works or their accomplishments should already qualify them for spiritual favors But we know that by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, which is exactly what we should do. But how can God use us? Well, we need to be determined. First of all, we need to be determined, as Paul was, to present the gospel, to present salvation. But also, number two, we need to be determined to preach Christ. For sanctification, so that would be the next blank that needs to be filled to preach Christ for sanctification, as we pointed out last week paul didn't did not only set forth Christ and him crucified for salvation, he also pointed out that after salvation, our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption is through Christ. Now, a lot of people get the salvation and sanctification m- uh, messed up. But salvation is what Christ uh, did for us in redeeming us. Uh, when we accepted Christ as personal Savior, that means we accepted the price that was paid for us. The Bible puts it this way: that we've been bought with the price, and of course, that price is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So, when you are born again, when you are uh, when you are saved, you accept Christ as personal Savior. That's your salvation or your redemption, that means you are now Christ's. In whatever way you want to look at it, the Bible uses several illustrations. We're sons of God, daughters of God. We are uh, servants of God. We are possessions of God. We've been bought with a price. Or we are vessels of God. We talked about this last week in the comparison, how that you buy something... And it's in your possession, and chances are particularly if it's vessels or or dishes or something like that you purchase it it's yours. you take it home and you disinfect it, you wash it, or you sanctify it and so when you have a dish uh, uh, when you have a sink full of dirty dishes, generally you'll take one out, you will wash it you will Uh, um, uh, Rinse it you will dry it But you don't set it back in with the dirty dishes You set it apart You put it either in a cabinet or you put it somewhere Where when you come back to it you can use it And that's the literal meaning of sanctification To be set apart And we need to let God Or we need to allow God To sanctify us So that he can use us and we ought to want to be used by God. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse number 30, we read this one already. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Colossians 1, says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we want we need to be determined first of all to preach salvation and second of all for sanctification. We want God to sanctify us because we want him to be to be willing to use us. Without sanctification, you can be possessed by God, you can be saved, you can belong to God, but it doesn't necessarily mean that God can actually use you. We need to be sanctified. Okay, so as we get to our main outline, the first thing, be determined. How can God use me? Well, be determined. Be determined. Number two: be dependent. Be dependent. You know, weakness has to do with a lack of strength. And the word fear means dread or terror. It is used to describe the anxiety of one who distrusts his ability to completely make the requirements but does his utmost to fulfill his duty. So Paul was like many of us when we are asked to minister to people. He felt weak and fearful but he was dependent upon Christ to do what only Christ could do through him. Look again at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 now. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 beginning in verse number 1. Paul says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness. So we can see a dependence here that Paul has, not on himself because of his own weakness, his own inability, but a dependence upon God. He says, "I was with you, verse number three, in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling." And if you know the history of Paul coming to Corinth, you know that God had to reassure him when he came to Corinth. Corinth apparently was a very uh, a very scary city. We also know Paul had just come from not a really great experience, and so here he is now in Corinth, and the Bible says that he was full of fear and trembling and weakness. And we're we're not talking spiritually weak. We're talking physically. He was was feeble. He was not very confident in his own ability. Here's the great thing about being a vessel of God is you don't have to be confident in your own ability because God will use, use us and God will give us the power to do what he wants us to do. And sometimes it's through stammering and fumbling, and forgetting things. But the amazing thing is, is God will always bless the effort, and he's going to do more than that. We're going to look at it here in a second. Look at verse number 4 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In verse number 4, he says, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit, of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul here confesses, I believe one of the reasons that God allowed me to be so fearful and lack confidence when I came to you. And my, if you could have recorded my messages, um, they wouldn't have been anything that that anyone wanted, would want to listen to a second time. He says, but that was the power of God, and that was God demonstrating that it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by his word. So in effect, Paul said, the good that God did through me, it was not of me, it was not because of me, it was, well, in spite of me. And you know that when you've been in the ministry for any amount of time, or you've been serving God for any amount of time, and you begin to see results in your spiritual walk with God, you begin to realize that, man, as I look back, I made a lot of mistakes. I said a lot of foolish things. And yet God has blessed, and and God has progressed, and he has done it not because of me, and not because of my skill, and not because of my ability. He's done it despite me. But it's because he blesses faithfulness. And God will bless faithfulness. Uh, Paul says, I was dependent upon Christ to empower me and to empower the gospel. He didn't depend on his words, his ability, his logic. He realized that that had all left him. Uh, He depended upon Christ. It's more important that we choose to be dependent upon Christ as we serve the Lord. We can do it in, the, in two ways that Paul mentioned here. Number one, depend upon God's truth. So that would be your next blank there under number two. Depend upon God's truth. What are we to be dependent upon? Depend upon God's truth. You know, Paul wasn't trying to persuade people to be saved or grow in their Christian life through a reliance on his own ability. He didn't go in with, man, I've got, to, I've got to be persuasive. He just let the Holy Spirit take charge, and he relied on God's truth. One of the things that we have done today in churches is we've shortchanged the Word of God. We need to, we need to do so much more. We've got to, we have to add something that is going to appeal to people. The Word of God alone just doesn't do it anymore. And therefore, we need to have, well, we need to have concerts, and we need to have uh, comedians, and we need to have all of these things that will that will change people's lives. But the truth of the matter is, the simple Word of God is all that we need. And I think we've made it a whole lot more complicated than it needs to be, uh, because the Word of God, and I think that's why we're not seeing the power of the Word of God today, because we're not using the word of God, we are, we're kind of mixing it with things and, and therefore kind of changing it and, try, and kind of taking things out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul reminds us of this. He says, My speech, my preaching, it was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. It's not what we think that changes people. It is not our ideas, our thoughts, but rather the word of God that makes a difference in the lives of others. When I first moved to Hillsboro back in 93, I remember that I used to get these flyers constantly on on how to reach the baby boomers. How are we going to reach the baby boomers? And And to me, it was simple. It was, well, we don't. The Word of God reaches the baby boomers. We just need to be faithful with the Word of God. We need to preach the Word of God. And then I started getting flyers. You know, the longer you're in the ministry, the more you see more generations go by. Next uh, was the the Gen X generation. And how are we going to reach this generation? Well, uh, I, I tend to think that Paul didn't care what generation you were in. He said, I determined, brethren, I was going to uh, not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I believe that we have robbed ourselves of the power of God because we're relying more on our ideas. As a matter of fact, now there's, uh, there's a thing that, that a lot of, uh, well, there's, there's all these conferences now, that you can go to, and some of them are called actually called idea conferences, and they're for pastors and for churches. Now, I'm not against ideas. Don't get me don't get me wrong. I'm not against doing new things, trying new things. But I do think that we tend to rely so much on these catchphrases and so much on these new ideas and these new ways of doing things that we have forgotten, if we've got the Word of God and the Spirit of God, we really don't need anything else. And yet, we have, uh, we're now relying on other people's ideas, and we're now relying on, on, on this philosophy, that philosophy, this method, and that method, and, and uh, uh, this way of doing things, and thinking outside of the box. I think we need to get back in the box, is what I think, and, uh, and, and, and start doing things the way that God intended for them to be done. I think that if the Apostle Paul would have come to today's brand of Christianity, they'd have cast him out for being too boring. You, just, you don't have the ideas, Paul. You just don't have what it takes. Why you need to have TED talks and you need to have all these, uh, uh, all uh, all of this uh, entertainment and you don't even know how to tell a story and don't get me wrong, we don't want to go out and on, on purpose be boring. Say, well, you know, uh, we, we just need to be boring and if and <laughs> that's not that's not the point. The point is the Word of God really is not boring. The word of God is powerful. And look at, again, what Paul says. He says, I determined not to know anything, verse number two, among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. In verse number four, at the very end, he said the demonstration of the spirit of power. God's word is powerful. Jeremiah twenty three twenty nine. God says, is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces, when we give the word of God to others, it does not return void. It accomplishes all God wants it to. Isaiah fifty-five eleven. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So, Be dependent upon the truth of God, the Word of God. We have everything that we need right here. It changes lives. It determines lives. It actually knows what we're thinking. Knowing the power of God's Word in our lives, it should make us serious students of it so that we can rely uh, upon it as we witness to others and help them grow in their faith the book of Colossians, when Paul wrote to the church in Colossae there, chapter 3, verse number 16, we know this one well. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States, he said the following about God's written word. He said, I have for many years made it a practice to read through the Bible once a year. My custom is to read four or five chapters every morning immediately after rising from my bed. It employs about an hour of my time and seems to me the most suitable manner of beginning the day. In what light soever we regard the Bible, whether with reference to Revelation, to history, or to morality, it is an invaluable and inexhaustible mine of knowledge and virtue. My, that more of our presidents don't, didn't think like that today. Dependent upon God's truth. But also we need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. We need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works mightily through the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is the agent that God uses to bring conviction of sin and convincing of repentance. His Spirit will work as we give others the truth of the Word. In John 6, verse 63, It is the Spirit that quickeneth, Jesus said. The flesh profiteth nothing. So as talented as that flesh may be, and as good as that flesh may be able to tell stories, it profits nothing. It's the spirit that makes alive. It's the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak, Jesus said unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So here we have Jesus speaking, which means it's the word of God. And he says, the words that I speak, they're spirit, they're life. And this is what makes alive. This is what quickens. This is what changes lives. We could do... A lot worse than to sit in church and read the Bible. We could do a lot worse than that. Uh, because the word of truth and the spirit of truth, they come together and they are mighty. Zechariah 4, 6, I already quoted it. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. As God was trying to get nobodies to do something It's not your or my ability that can change or help anyone. We don't have the wisdom. We don't have the power to do a lasting work in someone's heart. Only the Holy Spirit can do this kind of work. If you want to see legitimate changes in people's lives, we need to be dependent on the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Otherwise, we can can change someone temporarily emotionally. But it's not going to be long. That's going to wear off. The word of God, the word of truth, the spirit of truth, they, that does not wear out. Only the Holy Spirit can do this kind of work. When we rely on any natural abilities that God has given us, we're sure to learn just how limited these, uh, these abilities are. We need to depend on Him in every area of our lives. To trust that he will use us to make a difference in the lives of others. When God calls, God enables, we got the tools. We got the word of truth. We've got the spirit of truth. That's why people either get really mad when they hear it or they get really excited when they hear it because it works in hearts regardless of how we want to accept it. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. So if He's called me, and by the way, He's called us all to be determined to present salvation. He's called us all to be determined to be sanctified. And He wants us to be dependent upon His word of truth, upon His spirit of truth. And then number three, number three, we need to be desirous. We need to be desirous. The Bible says, blessed are they that hunger, thirst after righteousness. Are you hungry for God to use you? God doesn't force people into his service. That's the thing. God wants us to do it out of love out of desire. It's like any other relationship. None of us want people to do things for us out of obligation, particularly those we have close relationships with. None of us want our spouses to do things for us or with us or to us out of obligation. We want them to do it out of desire. I mean, um, and let's just let's just go to the the most obvious one when it comes to a physical relationship with your spouse no one wants that to be uh an obligation everyone wants it to be a desire a mutual desire otherwise it loses it loses its effect and 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 it's not it it's not any fun well The way that God wants us, remember, we are created in his likeness and in his image. And, of course, we don't have to be near as uh, intimate. We could talk about friends, people who are our friends, and um, they're going to do something for us. Well, please don't do it out of obligation. Do it because you want to. Don't go out and hang out with me because you feel sorry for me. Do it because you want to do it as much as I want to do it. it, it that it's it, there's a mutual desire. Well, God wants to use us, but he's not going to if we don't have a desire to be used. He wants that mutual desire. So what, what do you hunger after? Do you, do you hunger for God to use you? God doesn't force us. He invites us to serve Him. He reassures us that being used of Him, it doesn't depend upon our ability. It depends upon His. Paul was specifically desirous of two things in his service for God. First of all, he was desirous of God's power. Now, I want God's power in my life. You know, any Christian with the power of God upon his life can be used of God in a great way. You know, and and here's the thing is is God doesn't just limit his power to the talented. God doesn't just limit his power to those who have high credit ratings. God doesn't just limit his power to the good looking, if you will. Uh, God wants us to tap into his power. And he wants to demonstrate that in us, through us. Remember, we're talking about nobody's here. God hath chosen, verse number 27, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, the base things of the world and things which are despised. Hath God chosen yea and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. So any Christian with the power of God upon his life can be used of God in a great way. And any Christian without the power of God in his life is not going to see lasting fruit for his efforts, no matter how promising the short-term results may look. uh, You can get by on your talent, but those, uh, those fruits are not going to last. In fact, God's work depends upon His power. We saw earlier that Paul pointed out his ministry wasn't carried out in his own strength. But when he made it clear where the power came from, we understand it didn't come from him, 1 Corinthians 2.4. He said at the very end of that verse, But in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he told the disciples he told them what? To go wait in Jerusalem. Do you realize that really nothing, nothing got going until the day of Pentecost? Because something happened on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, the church received the power of the Holy Ghost. And you know what? Things started happening then. Uh, as a matter of fact, in one day... 3,000 people came to know Christ as personal Savior, not because the apostles, they were the same apostles. That church was the same church as it was prior to that when it only had 120 members. What was the difference? The Holy Spirit was the difference. The power of God was the difference. And they went and they were desirous and they waited as Jesus told them to do. Ye shall receive power, Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you; ye shall be witnesses unto me in both Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria to the uttermost part of the earth. you know as was mentioned earlier, we tend to assume that those who are greatly used of God have inerrant strength or talent man if only I could do what what you can do in second Corinthians chapter four, Paul points out that our areas of insufficiency actually prove to us the greatness of God's power. Here, here's a thought. The, the, the less ability I have, the greater God gets magnified when things, uh, when things happen. Weakness uh, to the earthen vessel says that it is their limitation that showcases God's power. You know, Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 6, says, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You know, just as we learned about the Savior on Sunday morning. Nothing about Him. Isaiah chapter 53. Nothing about Him. No comeliness, no form. An earthen vessel. Am I inside that earthen vessel? The Bible tells us in in the New Testament, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. And so all those things Jesus was able to do, it wasn't because that flesh was given tremendous talent it was because he was channeling the he was channeling the holy spirit same thing with the apostle paul only obviously paul's not deity jesus christ is so there is a difference there but, but paul did great things the apostles did great things but it wasn't their power they were earthen vessels but they allowed god to use them Dan Crawford was the successor to the missionary explorer, David Livingston. He carried a copy of the New Testament in the pocket of his jacket. At the time of his death, someone found the following verses pinned on the flyleaf of that well-worn book. Listen to this. It said, I cannot do it alone. The waves dash fast and high. The fog comes chill around and the light goes out in the sky. But I know that we two shall win in the end, Jesus and I, coward and wayward and weak. I change with the changing sky. Today so strong and brave, tomorrow too weak to fly. But he never gives up, so we two shall win, Jesus and I. Think the Lord he doesn't leave us or forsake us. And once again, aren't you glad that when it comes to being used, we don't have to fill out all these applications. And, well, what, what do you have to, uh, to give to the cause of Christ? And, and then after the application is looked over, okay, well, I guess we'll, we'll use you here because you don't have a whole lot of talent over here. God doesn't do that. God wants to use us. He wants to use all of us. But, of course, the best ability is what? Dependability. And so we need to be faithful as he is faithful. And so we need to be desirous of God's power. And then, of course, Paul says we need to be desirous of God's glory. Desirous of God's glory. In other words, why do we want God to use us? So we can get patted on the back? Or so that God can get the glory? So God can get the honor? so that uh, God can receive the praise. And again, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 29, that no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And that's, what, that's Paul's point right here, especially as he goes into 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He set it all up. He says, when I came to you, uh, it was with weakness and fear and, and with trembling. And, and he was actually criticized for that. But he said, hey, look at the result. When I left Corinth, a church, was going a church was flourishing and a church continues to be there and yes it's not because of me and of course that leads right into the arguments that they were having over who who they favored peter apollos or paul peter being the head apostle apollos being the eloquent one paul being the founder of the church And Paul reminds them, it's none of us. We're vessels that God has used. And then in the case of him and Apollos, he started the church. Apollos would come later, but he said that I have planted. That's what God called me to do. Apollos, he has watered, but God gives the increase. It's all God. And so give glory to God. You know, as Christians, we have a tendency... To glory in or to feel joy or pleasure in the wrong things. Too often we find our pleasure in our ability or our accomplishments. But this simply shows that we don't have an accurate view of God's greatness. God is great. It's like we learned when we are really small. Um, They are weak or we are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. You know, As Christians, we have a tendency to glory in the wrong things. Those who glory in the Lord are those who see clearly. He's their wisdom. He's their righteousness. He's their sanctification. He's their redemption. Uh, He accomplishes. But thank the Lord. He allows us to be used in those accomplishments. But I even think some of the terms that we use... um, we need to be We need to be careful about you know people who brag about the number of people that they've won to Christ, actually, the Holy Spirit wins people to Christ. we can lead them to Christ, but again, only in the power of uh, of the Holy Spirit can we do that, and only with the power of the Word can we do that and so those who glory we need a, they take a, a pleasure in who he, he is to them and the work that he is doing through them and that's what we need to do and that's what of course what the apostle paul did paul wanted the church at corinth to know that it is god and god alone who gets the glory this was the theme of his life this was the theme of his ministry it ought to be the theme of our lives god gets the glory to god be the glory he is the one he accomplishes in galatians 6 14 Paul says, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, For whom maketh thee to differ from, uh, from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Think about that. Everything that we have was given to us. Why would somebody glory in their looks when they had nothing to do with how they look? Why would someone glory in their good good health when really we have very little? And I understand there's things we can do to to help that. You know, it's amazing to me how that even people who... Run marathons and uh, do all the exercise and eat all the right things can still die of a heart attack. I had a friend who not too long ago, this was a guy who, who did, he, he was like an iron man. And yet as a very young man had a heart attack. Now he didn't die of it, but if you were to vote someone who's the least likely individual to have a heart attack, that would be the individual But it just goes to show that God is sovereign, and we ought to take credit for nothing. Man, if I have good health, thank God for that. If I have some abilities, thank God for those abilities, regardless of what we have, spiritual gifts, and that's what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Some people were holding their spiritual gifts over other people's spiritual gifts, and we, had, we have nothing to do with our spiritual gifts. That's why they're called spiritual gifts. It means that God's given it to us. It's like the individual who grows up in a wealthy family and, and um, looks down on, on poor people. It's like you had nothing to do with growing up in a rich family. Uh, that's because of God. You grew up in a wealthy family. And we ought not look down on, on anyone for lack of ability, lack of talent, uh, I, we need to thank God every day for what we do have. Who maketh thee to differ from another? God does. What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Um, I don't have anything I didn't receive. It was all a gift. Everything I have was given to me by God. From my parents to, to everything else, I had nothing to do with it. My salvation, I'm thankful that I'm saved, but I know God did all the work, even in drawing me, everything that He did to get me to church that day when I accepted Christ as my Savior. God made all the arrangements, and I owe it all to Him. 2 Corinthians ten seventeen: He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Now think about that statement. Not he that commendeth himself is approved. You ever known someone who thought they were greater than they really were? I I, I remember um, I used to love to play basketball, and I can remember one time we met this big guy who told us he was great at basketball and i was trying to get a team together and i thought man this is awesome um we need a big guy he says he's great at basketball who's gonna say they're great at basketball and they're not really great at basketball well i can remember we finally got him out on the court one day and i swear he'd never played basketball a day in his life maybe he thought he would be great if he tried it he was awful but in his mind he was great. Well, just because in his mind he was great, did that make him great? No. What mattered is what everyone else saw. What mattered is what the, what the coach saw. That's what, what mattered. Sadly, I was the coach of that team. And it's not those who, who uh, commend themselves. If you're on a team, what matters is the coach's evaluation of your talent. If you work for a company, what matters is your boss's evaluation of your talent. You can think you're valuable to that company all you want. But if that company doesn't think you're valuable, (laughs) then you're in a world of hurt. God says, it's not he that commendeth himself. Oh, uh, this church couldn't live without me. Actually, every church could live without each and every one of us. But we can't live without the word of God. And we can't live without the Spirit of God. So let him that glorieth, boy, glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. So who does God use? Not the proud. He resists the proud. Not those who think that the abilities God has given them give them no need for God's power. No, God will use any Christian who is determined to make Christ known dependent upon the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, desirous for the power and the glory of God. Unfortunately, many of the wise, the noble, and the mighty of this world don't see their need of God. The wealthy of this world, which is why Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Though we may be people whom the world considers to be nobodies, let's fully surrender ourselves to Him. Many of you have heard about the potter's house. To the potter's house I went down one day and watched him while molding the vessels of clay. And many a wonderful lesson I drew as I noted the process the clay went through, trampled and broken, downtrodden and rolled to render more plastic and fit for the mold. How like the clay that is human, I thought, when in heavenly hands to perfection brought For self must be cast as the dust of his feet before it is ready for service made meet. And pride must be broken and self will be lost, all laid on the altar, whatever the cost. But lo, by and by a delicate vase of wonderful beauty and exquisite grace. Was it once the vile clay? Ah, yes, yet how strange the potter has wrought so marvelous a change. Not a trace of the earth, nor mark of the clay. The fires of the furnace have burned them away. Wondrous skill of the potter, the praises his due, in whose hands to perfection and beauty it grew. Thus with souls lying still, content in God's hand, that do not his power of working withstand. They are molded and fitted, a treasure to hold. Vile clay now transformed. Into purest gold. You know, the interesting thing is is when you see a beautiful piece of pottery, you think, man, that is beautiful. But the credit goes to whoever made it. Same thing with the painting, same thing with the house. Uh, We are His workmanship. The difference is, God's given us a free will. And we can think we're good enough and refuse to allow God to work on us. Or we can say, He's the potter, I'm the clay. And become very compliant and allow Him to do through us whatever it is He wants to. And then the glory goes to the potter. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed and with every eye closed.